Good morning, Good News Church. Uh, my name is Adam, and this is my wife, Megan. We're members here. Uh, we're super excited you're here with us today. Um, if it's your first time or you're just visiting, um, there's a Connect card in the seat back in front of you. Uh, if you're online, there's a button on the screen. Uh, if you can fill that out, uh, and you can return it in the black boxes in the back. Um, let us know that you're here uh, so we can reach out to you and just say hello. Um, coming up uh, this Saturday is a uh, men's uh, grounds day, um, hosted by uh, Jake Dunn is, is in charge of that. And we're going to be cleaning up uh, the fence line out by uh, International Golf. Um, so uh, it's going to be at 8 a.m. Uh, this Saturday uh, if you want to show up. Um, Jake said he needs power tools, chainsaws, uh, edgers, things like that. Um, you can reach out to Jake Dunn. You can fill out on your Connect card uh, or talk to Parker as well uh, if you have any questions about that. Uh, Hello Fall is tonight, um, so that's going to be a super fun time. Uh, I know my kids are, are can't wait for it, uh, but there's going to be a trunk or treat, uh, chili cook-off, bounce houses, so definitely show up, uh, show up and have a good time and fellowship with us for that. Um, today we are officially kicking off Operation Christmas Child, uh, so I know we've been out there for, we've been out there for a little while now. Um, but uh, we were preparing for the packing parties, which youth is coming up on November 1st, and the kids are coming up uh, November 12th. Uh, we've just been extremely overwhelmed with the outpouring from that of uh, just people donating gifts, donating money, uh, people praying over that. Um, but we're here to kick off uh, you guys packing shoeboxes. So if you're not involved, if you don't have kids or you're not involved in the youth ministries and you want to pack a uh, shoebox, um, we're here to tell you how to do that. So um, if you're not familiar with Operation Christmas Child, it's a ministry of Samaritan's Purse. Uh, we pack shoeboxes in gifts, shoebox gifts, uh, to send to unreached people groups around the world. Um, the reason we do that uh, is super important because it's a uh, demonstrating God's love in a tangible way. Um, and I've heard that a lot of times, but I recently come to understand it better. Somebody explained it to me really well. Uh, when we explain the gospel to these kids and we explain the free gift of salvation to them, they don't understand what a free gift is. These kids have never received a free gift in their life. Everything they've ever received has a string attached to it. Um, so we show them what a free gift is, and that really enables us to, uh, to give them the gospel message. Um, so we partner with local leaders, uh, train local leaders and ministry, ministry partners. Um, the kids get the gifts, and then they get a... Uh, a gospel presentation through The Greatest Gift, um, and then they're invited back for a 12-week program called The Greatest Journey, uh, and they get a Bible in their own language. Um, and from that program is uh, where Samaritan's Purse counts uh, the uh, decisions for Christ. Uh, there have been over 15 million decisions for Christ through the program so far uh, through children, and then that just exponentially spreads through these villages, through the families and things like that. Um, I want to talk real brief uh, about helping you guys pack your own shoeboxes. Um, before I talk, though, there's a real quick video uh, for you guys to watch. Mm. Finally. Peace and quiet. Peace and quiet. Now let's pack those Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. If you're like me, it can be difficult to know where to start. To make things easier, just start with a box. Any average size cardboard or plastic box will work, but I find a shoebox works best. After that, you'll need to decide what age group you're gonna pack for. And if it's for a boy, 
or a girl. Now let's fill that shoebox. It's best to start by selecting a wow item. Something like a soccer ball and a pump. Or a stuffed animal. Something really special. <laughs> yes and yes. Once you've got your wow item, you can start to fill it with other fun stuff like toys, clothes, sandals, or even school supplies. <laughs> what do you mean, however? However, there are some things you don't want to include. Things like gum, toothpaste, items related to war, liquids. But for a complete list, check out the website. Oh boy, I think they're gonna like this. While a shoebox might seem small and simple, it can mean the world to a child who may have never received a gift. It shows God's love in a tangible way to children in need, and together with the local church worldwide, shares the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why you will also want to personalize your shoebox. Even including a letter or a photo of your family or yourself can make it extra special to the child. The most powerful thing you can do is pray. Pray that your gift will make an impact. That both the child and the community will discover the love and name of Jesus. When your box is finished, you can make your $10 donation online or by mailing in your contribution using the business reply envelope in the brochure. This donation is critical for training and equipping local churches to share the gospel, along with the collection, processing, and shipping of the shoebox gifts. And don't forget to activate a label so you can follow your box and discover its final destination. Finally, make sure to check the website for the closest drop-off location near you. And make sure to mark the date for the third week in November as National Collection Week. Well, there you go. You just packed yourself a shoebox. <laughs> Grandma. Already done. What? How? I thought she wasn't going to stores right now. She isn't. She packed her box online. That's right, Dad. With just a few clicks of a mouse, Grandma packed her whole shoebox online. She can choose from all kinds of gifts, even make it personal by adding a letter and a photo. Wow. So she doesn't even need to leave the house? Nope, she can stay safe inside and still have time for Doomcraft. Docking complete. All right, so hopefully that motivates you a little bit to pack shoe boxes. Um, a, co <laughs> a couple highlights, the $10 uh, donation. We have labels out in the lobby. Uh, they have a little QR code on them. You can go online and activate them as well. So that's a real easy way to do that. Um, you saw some examples of things to include in there and not include in there. There's things on your seats with the same list. And if you have any questions about something uh, can go or not, uh, you can definitely reach out to me or Megan and we can, we can help you with that. Um, one tip uh, that I never realized before this year is um, you're actually encouraged to remove the packaging from things and make more space in the boxes. Um, while we are sending new things and not used things, um, it, is, it is perfectly all right to remove the packaging and it's actually encouraged because in a lot of these countries there is a refuse problem, so um, to send more trash to these countries is, is not always a good thing. Um, finally, you saw the online thing. Um, there is a QR code out in the lobby um, and the slide you'll see every week has it on it as well um, or a link. But um, if you go on uh, and pack a shoebox online, um, they count towards our numbers, and then um, those shoe boxes are super special because they're detailed inventory. 
So they go to the super hard to reach countries, uh, countries that we have a hard time getting into um, because they can get through customs a lot easier. Um, but it's a, it's a neat way to, to participate if you don't wanna go out and go shopping and, and still wanna participate. So um, with that being said, thank you. If you have any questions, please find us. We'll try to be in the lobby every week before and after service. Thank you. Christmas Child is so amazing. Please, uh, please, please, please participate. And a few uh, weeks ago, we got issued a challenge. We want to fill 500 boxes here at our World Golf Campus. So, um, I mean, it's there. He said it. I'm believing for it. So let's, uh, let's go after it. Hey, grab your Bible. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to read verses 6 through 8. Then I'm going to pray, and we'll jump into this passage as we continue to study the book of 2 Timothy. Now let's pay attention to what God has to say to us this morning, because as we learned a few weeks ago, this is God's word, and it has the right to command our belief and our action. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's spend just a moment in prayer. Dad, thank you for your word. Now come, Holy Spirit, and take from the things of Jesus and make them real to our hearts. Encourage the faint-hearted. Embolden the cowardly. Strengthen the little faith. And Lord, give us grace that we might leave having heard your word with joy unspeakable and full of glory at being reminded again of what you've done for us, Jesus. We worship you. We praise you. We glorify you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So Parker did an amazing job last week uh, in his teaching. <clears throat> and as I listened to the message, I heard him mention a granddaughter, and I heard him mention a puppy. And I took that as a personal uh, challenge. And so I bring you a grandson and a puppy. So look at this. This is amazing. I mean, come at me, Parker. Try to look at that and not smile. That's my grandson, Hudson, and their new uh, puppy, Finn, little golden retriever puppy, super cute. I want more than anything for Hudson to come to know Jesus and to follow him all the days of his life. And I look forward to the chances that I'll have to be a part of sharing Jesus with him how do we pass our faith on to our kids and our grandkids? 
Isn't one of the ways we do that is we tell them stories? Maybe when your kids were small, you read them the Chronicles of Narnia, the C.S. Lewis fantasy uh, fiction that just has so many pictures of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus invites us to. Maybe you read the, the Lord of the Rings to your children or gave them the chance to read it as they grew older. You know that Tolkien and Lewis both had a hero. Their hero was a man named MacDonald. Um, and MacDonald wrote a collection of stories, and one of them is called The Princess and the Goblin. George MacDonald, he was a Scottish Presbyterian pastor, and he wrote these amazing stories like The Princess and the Goblin. And in one version of The Princess and the Goblin, he begins the story this way. There once was a little princess who. But, but Mr. Author, why do you always write about princesses? Because every little girl is a princess. Well, you'll make them vain if you tell them that. Not if they understand what I mean. Well, then what do you mean? Well, what do you mean by a princess? Well, the daughter of a king. Very well. Then every little girl is a princess. And there would be no need to say anything about it except that she is always in danger of forgetting her rank and behaving as if she had grown out of the mud. I have seen little princesses behave like the children of thieves and lying beggars, and that is why they need to be told they are princesses. And that is why, when I tell a story of this kind, I like to tell it about a princess. Then I can better say what I mean because I, I can then give her every beautiful thing I want her to have. Well, then please, go on. Oh, dear people, I, I know what, you, what happened to you this week. I know what happened. You fought, you argued, you worried. No, I'm not eavesdropping on your houses, but I just know what happened to me this week, and I don't think I'm uniquely sinful. I think what happened to me is the same thing that happened to you. You got angry in traffic again. That sin that, that you said you'd never do again, you did it again. Is there any hope for us? There is. We're invited into a story. A story so good, so beautiful, so true, that when we start to think that we grew out of the mud, when we forget that we are princes and princesses, in the family of a king. We can be drawn in, reminded again, you didn't come from the mud. You came from royalty. You're a prince. You're a princess. 
remember who you are. Find your way this morning into the greatest story ever told about the greatest man who ever lived. And he invites you into the middle of that story. And he says, if you live your life on the basis of this story, not the news, not the Netflix program that you're binging for the 15th time, not your social media feed, if you'll live your life on the basis of this story, oh, oh, the things you'll be able to do. C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis in a sermon he gave called The Weight of Glory, he says this, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, they're mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a Ganak. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Did you hear that? It's immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Now this does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. Brothers and sisters, princes and princesses, let's find our way into the story of all stories. In those three verses that I read this morning, there are three unbelievable truths about the one story of the Bible that is going to happen to every single one of us who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, then what Paul just said in those three verses tell you a story that is so incredible, if we believed it, it would be enough to make a Presbyterian shout, Shazam! You ever hear anybody talk recently about eschatology? You hear anybody on your Twitter feed, on Facebook, posting stuff about the end of the world? Eschatology is the study of last things. Have you heard anybody out there talking about last things? Been a lot of talk about it recently. Things happening in the Middle East and people wanting to give their opinions about what it all means. That's what's called general eschatology. And what Paul has to say in these verses is even better than that. It's what the Bible would call personal eschatology. It's the question, what happens to me as a believer in Jesus now what happens to me as a believer in Jesus the moment that I die? 
And what happens to me as a believer in Jesus on that day when Jesus comes again to establish the final state of things? That's the story. That's the story. And there's three words. Three words that, that we can hold on to to help us remember the story. Good, better, and best. Good, better, and best. Now, good. You love good news. I love good news. And this passage has some of the best news you could ever learn. And it's in verse 6. Are you ready? I am already being poured out as a drink offering. It didn't hit you, did it? You didn't catch how good that good news was. Let me read it again. Maybe you'll catch it this time. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Did you get it that time? Well, let me help you. What does it mean that Paul says, I am being poured out as a drink offering? How does that make life now good? Well, William Borden was one of the inheritors of the Borden uh, yogurt, dairy, um, wealth. I mean, there's a lot of wealth in yogurt. <laughs> a lot of people buy it. And William Borden was one of the sons of the Borden family who stood to inherit millions. And in today's um, finance, it would be billions. And William Borden, the son of privilege, the son of the Borden family, went to Yale in 1905, and he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he was called into missionary service for Jesus. And he took all of his inheritance and he gave it away. And his life, in his Bible, he wrote three phrases to describe his intention. No returns, no reserves, no regrets. And off he went to the Middle East as a missionary. And William Borden, in his 20s, having given up his life of privilege, having given up his wealth, William Borden went to the Middle East, contracted a disease, and died. You say, well, what's the good news in that? Well, I'm going to tell you in a minute. But from that example, no reserves, no returns, no regrets, thousands of people have been called into missionary service for the sake of the nations because of William Borden's belief that he didn't have anything that was his, but that everything that he had been given was to be poured out as a drink offering to the praise of Jesus. And the reason he believed that was because of the verses that I just read to you. 
I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The word drink offering, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew, the Old Testament, and then later, before Jesus came, it was translated into the Greek. The Old Testament was translated into Greek. And the word for drink offering that's used in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 is only is used 19 times in the Old Testament. It's used 19 times in the Old Testament. It's only used twice in the New Testament, both times by the Apostle Paul. Now, in your small groups this week, or in your own personal study, if you'd like to read about these drink offerings in the Old Testament, the first time it's ever used, you can jot down this passage, Genesis 35, verses 9 through 15. You can read about the first time a drink offering is used in the Old Testament. In the law given to Moses to direct the people of Israel in their worship, Paul, uh, God gives to Moses in Numbers 15, 17 through 26, instructions about the sacrifices. So in your small group, or in your own personal study, you can look up those passages and, and study them together about the drink offering. But I want to share one story this morning about the drink offering to help us understand why being poured out like a drink offering is such good news for us today. And it's from 2 Samuel. David was a king. David was a king. And like all kings... David had some men, some brave men, who were amongst his elite soldiers, who were among his finest forces. There was a day when David, while he was in battle against the Philistines, said to some of his men, I'm kind of thirsty, guys. It would be great to have some of that good water from Bethlehem. Well, three of his men heard what David said, and so off they went. Bethlehem at the time was was in the possession of the Philistines, and these three men, these elite soldiers, these three men, they snuck into Bethlehem. They snuck in, and, and they got some water. They got some water from Bethlehem, and they brought it back to David. And they said, King, we love you. Here is some fresh Cool water from Bethlehem. Imagine how careful they had to be to carry that water back to Jerusalem from Bethlehem through enemy forces carrying the water for the king. And David got the water. You know what he did with it? it out as a drink offering. What did David know? David knew that he wasn't the king. David knew that he wasn't the Lord. David knew that there was someone greater than he. 
And he took the love offering of his men and he poured it out to Jesus. Because he knew that someday someone greater than he would come. And the reason why living as a drink offering today is so good for us is it because it frees us to be the king and lord of our own lives. It frees us from the illusion that we are the saviors, that we are the rescuers, that we are the show, and invites us to believe that there's someone greater than us who is the King, the Lord, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Rescuer. His name is Jesus. And when you get to know Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when you have his story at the center of your life, then you can take everything, like William Borden and David, and pour it out in worship to Jesus. And the thing that will help you is when you remember and realize that Jesus himself was poured out for you. Therefore, I will allot him, Jesus, a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. How is it that life now can be good? Because we've come to know the one, Jesus, who poured himself out for us in death, so that we might be freed to pour ourselves out in life for him. Good. Better. Better. Look at the rest of verse 6 of 2 Timothy. The rest of verse 6 says, And the time of my departure has come. The time of my departure has come. You know, when you go on a cruise, right? You go on a cruise, you get on the gangplank, you get there early, you turn in your bags, you put the little stickers on your bags so that they end up in your stateroom, and you go out on deck. And then when you hear the horn, you go along the rail of the ship, and you watch on the ship. They take the lines of the ship that are holding it to the port and they cast them off so that the ship can do what it was designed to do, to carry passengers on cruise, to have the time of their life on vacation at sea. That is the word for departure. And Paul says, I am ready for departure. My heart and life have been cast loose from the things of this world, and I am ready to, be, to step into eternity. I have cultivated a relationship with Jesus so that when I die, I'll change location, but not companion. I'm ready to depart. Sound the horn. Cast off the lines. Let me go. 
better. Life is good now because we know Jesus, the one who poured himself out to death for us so that we could be poured out in life. But the moment that we die, it's better. Because we'll cast off this life to be joined with Jesus in the life to come, in eternal kind of life, and we will immediately pass from this life to eternal life. Believer in Jesus, are you like Billy Graham? Billy Graham wrote many, many years before his death, one day you will hear that Billy Graham has died. Don't you believe it? For the moment that I leave this earth, I will never be more fully alive. I will have left the land of the dying and entered into the land of the living. Why is it better? Because the moment we die, we let, let go of this life and we enter into an eternal kind of life. And so Paul will say in Philippians chapter 1, using the exact same words, to depart and to be with Christ is very much better. Life now is good. The moment that we die, it's better. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Good, better, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Look at verse 8 of 2 Timothy 4. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also on all who have loved his appearing. I grew up at First Presbyterian Church in St. Petersburg, Florida. I didn't know Jesus, but I had a drug problem. Every Sunday, my family would drag me to church. I didn't know Jesus, and every week we would go to First Presbyterian Church. Every week we would sing and I don't know why, but it's stuck in my brain that in the old Presbyterian hymnal that we used to use at First Presbyterian Church in St. Pete was hymn number 11. Hymn number 11. I don't know why that number sticks in my head, but it's the hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Reginald Aber was born in Cheshire, England in 1783. He was born to wealthy parents. He eventually went to Oxford University and was called to the ministry, ministry and became an Anglican priest as a minister. But rather than find a parish in the Anglican church and, and live out his days, he felt called to go to the nations and take the gospel to the end of the, of the earth. This was in the 1700s and the early 1800s. Reginald Aber left England and went to India, where he became the Bishop of Calcutta. 
He was young. He was, in his, he was only 40 years old. And the task of being the Bishop of India was way more than what he could have ever expected or felt he was able to do. Uh, and um, as he ministered in dependence upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, as he ministered leaning in to Jesus and depending upon him, he began to journal poetry to help remind him of how faithful Jesus is. And one of the poems that he wrote down became the hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. And in that hymn, in that hymn, we're told that one day, on the day that Christ returns, we'll be given a crown of righteousness. But, just as Revelation 4 says, we will take our golden crown and we will cast it down at the feet of him who lived and died and rose again for us, casting down their golden crowns beneath the glassy sea. And who stands upon that sea? Jesus, the Holy One, who bore our sin, died the death we deserve to die, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and in heaven today receives worship described in Revelation chapter 4 that tells us that there are elders in heaven today casting down golden crowns before Jesus in worship of him. And that's what's ahead of you. That's what's ahead of you. The best is yet to come. One day, you'll get to see Jesus. And you'll have the opportunity for all of eternity. You'll have a new body. And you'll live on a new earth. And we'll be able to do the things that we've loved to do in this life. And we'll be able to eat the things that we've loved to eat in this life. And we won't have to worry about gluten. <laughs> or dairy. But the best thing of all is that we'll see Jesus. And though we'll have new bodies, he will still bear his wounds. And every time we see him, we'll be reminded that the crown of righteousness that he secured for us, we've given back to him. And we'll say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lamb of God who was slain for me. Good. Better, the best is yet to come. That's verse 6 and verse 8. Now what kind of people do we become when we live out of that story? We become the kind of people who can fight, who can finish, and who can keep. Who can fight. Verse 7, we can fight the good fight. We can fight the good fight. What's the good fight? I see so many people in the church, so many people like me, pastors, 
Bible nerds. They're fighting the wrong fights. I read people's Twitter, hand, Twitter statements about the, what's happening now, and I think, no, you're missing it. Don't fight that fight. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight for the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're told that Paul delivered to the Corinthians as of first importance, the gospel. What is of first importance? What is the one thing worth fighting for? The gospel. If that's true, listen, everything in the Bible is important. But not everything in the Bible is of equal importance. There's one thing that's of first importance, and the one thing that's of first importance is the gospel. So what's the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Christ Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Why would the Son of God have to die for me and for you? Because I had sinned against him and I was in big trouble. The debt I owed him was so great, I could never repay it. But God the Son put on flesh. He lived the life I should have lived. He died the death I deserved to die. God took all of our sin and put it on Jesus and punished him in our place. And Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was dead, dead, in the ground. His body lay. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead, proving that all of our sin had been paid in full and that there was no penalty left for anyone who runs to him in believing, trust, reliance, and clings to him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. Have you? Won't you? If you never have, won't you admit to Jesus, Jesus, I have a sin problem. But Jesus, I believe that, that you can solve my sin problem. You died for my sin, according to the scriptures. You were buried, and on the third day, he, you rose again from the dead, according to the scriptures. Jesus, I commit to you as Savior and Lord. Won't you believe and commit to him today if you never have. And if you have, fight for the gospel. Fight for the gospel in your own life and in your family and in your neighborhood and in your community and in our nation and for the nations around the world. Fight for the gospel by believing it for yourself. Because tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and you're going to turn on the news and you're going to get anxious and you're going to get worried and you're going to get fearful. And at that moment you're going to need to fight for the gospel. To believe that Jesus Christ is on his throne, controlling everything that comes to pass. Fight for the gospel. Finish the course. Finish the course. Do you know golf was in the Bible? Paul says, I finished the course. Finish the course. What's he talking about? He's saying there's something laid out for each of us. It's called life. It's called life. And we each get one. Don't finish 
before you're finished. Our daughter was a swimmer, and as she grew up, and she swam in college, and, and, and there was, uh, in swimming, her coach, as she came closer and closer to the finish, he would start to scream, get in, get in, get in, get in. Because you don't want to finish the race before you're finished. A lot can happen in those last 10 yards. Oh, dear people, don't finish the course before you're finished. Fight. Finish. Get in. Get into Jesus now. Get into Jesus together. Get into Jesus and start sharing him with others. Oh, I pray for you that you might be active in sharing your faith, that you might know everything you've been given in Jesus. Listen to Parker's message from last week again. He shared some incredible stories from his own life about how God just enables him to stumble into gospel conversations. Oh, that that'd be true of me. And that it'd be true of you. That each of us would finish the course and keep the faith. What's the faith? The faith is the historic truth about Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ in history, lived and died and rose again in this world. The same place you see on your news, your television, missiles, bombs, Jesus, the Son of God, stepped onto that dirt. He lived in history. He died in history. He rose in history. It's true. The faith is the doctrine that explains the implications of what a difference it makes that Jesus lived and died and rose again. And the faith is our, each of us, grabbing hold of Jesus and believing in him personally. Believing in him personally and experiencing him personally. Now, and in the life to come. I know we're long. C.T. Studd, uh, he's another one of my heroes. He was a cricket player. I don't know anything about cricket, but he was really good at it. Um, picture an, an American all-star baseball player. C.T. Studd was a cricketer, but he retired from cricket to become a missionary. And to describe for people why he did that, he wrote this poem. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, 
even with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the king. You invite us now to believe in you, to be poured out in the good life, given for others, in the good life, lived in fellowship with you, in the good life now, a life that is aware and dependent every moment of every day not on ourselves, but on the one who has poured out for us. Jesus, you invite us to believe that, that it's better to depart and to be with Christ. But oh, Jesus, you invite us to believe that the best is yet to come, that one day you'll return. And when you do, we will receive from your hand the reward of eternal life, golden crowns, and we'll give back to you the worship and honor and glory due to you alone. Jesus, if there's any here that, that you're drawing to yourself now, may they say to you, Jesus, I admit to you that I've sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe you lived the life that I should have lived. Jesus, I believe you died the death I deserve to die. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. Dad, in view of this amazing story of the gospel, may we fight for the gospel and finish the course of the gospel and keep the faith in the gospel until you return or call us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.